0: Join us as we unpack emerging trends and changes in digital transformation with the executives, entrepreneurs, and investors responsible for shaping the future of their industries. In these interviews, you can expect to hear candid conversations about the future of technology and the role it plays at some of the largest organizations in the world. Our hosts are members of the Kunai team, an agency that has been building software products for over 20 years. Today, your host will be Kyle Berry.
1: Well, welcome to the Newfangled Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Berry, and today we are diving into user-centric design. Uh, it's certainly a uh, a topic that is near and dear to my heart, and um, we're going to talk with uh, a great guest of ours, Robin Beers, uh, SVP over at uh, Wells Fargo, focusing on customer insights, product design, and really, as your LinkedIn mentions, bringing a humanized approach to commercial online banking. Um, and really, this all comes together in how can I view fintech eating the world. So welcome, Robin. Thank you for coming. And I'm excited to have you.
0: Thanks. Excited to be here.
1: Absolutely. So, I, you know, it's uh, it's been an interesting kind of focus that we've had with the Newfangled podcast in trying to start evolving this mindset around how fintech is kind of taking over what it, we say eating the world. And you know, earlier we've started with this kind of idea around how does fintech work with banking institutions? How does it work with the overall monster that is financial, right? Um, and we've kind of discussed fintechs and separate innovation teams. How does that work?ing But now we're really starting to get into the meat and potatoes of everything, where we're really talking about design. How does design, specifically user centered design, impact? The banking space, the online experience, the consumers, and then how you develop product. And so, um, you know, what really drew me to have you on, and, and Sandeep was nice enough to make this intro because we were looking for someone specific to to have this focal point with. So, I'm, like I said, I'm excited to have you on. But your story, your background, is really interesting to me, and how you got to be in this position to lead a team and to have this design uh, prowess. So tell me first talk to me a little bit about how you got to be the leader of this team and your background and how it's evolving and shaping the way that you you do product design at, at Wells.
0: Sure um, so I've been at Wells a long time um, I've, <laughs> you know 16 years um, and I've held a lot of different positions um, during that time and I've really been in kind of two different worlds. I spent the first half of my career on the retail consumer banking side, so the kind of accounts that you and I would have. And then about eight years ago, I moved over to the commercial banking side. And in both of those uh, sides of the business, I've been very focused on how can we bring a more human perspective to our businesses? How can we um, sort of decenter the focus on product and services, um, and even technology to some degree, and really center the perspective needs, wants, desires of, of human beings. And so that was really kind of easy in on the retail side because, you know, money is very emotional. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you go out into the field, which is what I did, the, like the first thing I did um, when I came to Wells Fargo was say... Hey, I need a budget to, um, to, uh, go out in the field for three weeks and just talk to people about how they manage their finances.
1: Just boots on the ground, just talking to to people and figuring out. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how you had to do it back in the day. So I yeah.
0: Yeah. Like my fantasy was like, you know, that we had like a big RV or something and that's how we did it. We, to we flew to different cities and, um. And I took a, I took designers, I took business people, and at that time we were really focused on um, uh, building out budgeting capabilities. Okay. And so the business had a very you know fixed idea of um, how people would budget, and that you know the business is comprised of people who are bankers or who are you know very financially. Um, Minded, right? Yeah. MBAs and so forth. And what we found in the field was that people, most people were not interested in keeping um, a very detailed budget. There was more of a sense of, you know, let me log into online banking and see like what cleared yesterday, what's upcoming, what do I have to pay, did my paycheck hit. And so we ended up calling this um, an always tracking mindset. And what it did was really shift um, the internal assumptions about what budgeting tools needed to be um, from, you know, this mindset of like, you know, Excel spreadsheets and and, um, accounting software and so forth to something that was much more uh, light touch and, you know, one of the prompts we used in a design session was, you know, what would banking be like for artists? Like what, how do you make, and so these, this, I tell you this story really to highlight, um, you know, that we're trying to bring that human perspective, not just so that we can say like, okay, what do people out there want? What are the insights, which is kind of a very transactional view of, of, User-centered design, to Absolutely. More of a um, more more of a sense of um, how do we take what we learn out there in the world, in the real world, bring that into the business as um, as a way to interrogate our own assumptions and adjust our assumptions so that we're making better product decisions. Um, and so it, you know, insights are really about um, shaping strategy and making sure that strategy is in step with the market.
1: It's kind of interesting to think about that too, because I think you you've got two kind of worlds colliding where you're seeing when you're talking about how you're interacting with users, right, and how they're thinking, how they're looking at. It. And it's it's funny that you bring up like what is it? What does an artist want to see, right? They want to see where they're spending their money, and then how much maybe is left, right? Very simple aspects to that, but making it somewhat engaging. So there is still that emotional attachment, but at the same time, you know, user centric design isn't necessarily about the emotion, right? It, It's not, you know, you see Venmo using emojis and different things like that to spawn emotion when you're looking at transactions, but banking isn't necessarily doing that there in their mobile or their their experiences, which I actually think is a better way to go, right? This is still a, a serious play. It's money, it's people's future, it's their financial uh, stabilities and stuff. But that is a little bit different in that user-centered design, right? When you're thinking about how much emotion do I want them to have in it?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think emotion is, is important and that's a little bit more challenging in the business-to-business because it's not like, you know, the users of commercial online banking, which is called commercial electronic office, or I'll refer to it here on out as CEO. Okay.
1: Um,
0: they, um, they're employees of our customers, right? So that the, our users are employees. And so they're, you know, they're just trying to do their job. Um, and so it's a very different um, mindset from, you know, consumer banking, where, you know, it's like, how do I help this person's dreams come true? How do I help them to become more financially secure Um, to a mindset of how do I help them get their task done um and so that they can move on to their next task or, you know, yeah.
1: How, how automated, how easy is it to input information? You know, are there steps in which to that it double checks it or, you know, just what I've seen with when it's talking about B2B is how do I create a little bit more automation here where I'm just not manually consistently pushing numbers into, into different boxes or clicking the same tabs over again? How do I lessen those clicks so I can get through my day more efficiently, right?
0: It's interesting because when we talk to our, uh, our customers, so the decision makers around, you know, what, what is the importance that, um, digital functionality has inside of your company for your financial professionals who are using our, our services? They have said that they are seeing, um, as they hire in younger workforce to take these finance professional jobs, that it's hard to hire, that These new professionals don't want to do these clickety-clack jobs of oh, let me put in, you know, let me input the same data over and over again. Number
1: crunching, right? It's number crunching. Like, who wants to sit in Excel for eight hours a day? It's I did that when I came out of college. It was freaking brutal. (laughs) Like, I, I I was, I I was so drained by the end of the day because I was, I had a ten-tab, you know, Excel spreadsheet open that I had to keep every decimal point to the letter on. And it was, it was exhausting, you know. And I'm, I've, I've, you know, I've grown to know that I need to be more in front of people and not just staring at the computer all day, which is a hard thing to do in these in these in this day and age, obviously. But um, I just knew that crunching numbers all the time in Excel spreadsheets and putting up tables and different calculations, all that just wasn't going to be something I could do for eight hours consistently. Yeah. Like I, I just couldn't do it. I just knew I would drive myself crazy over it. So,
0: and we say, you know everybody in the business to business space says um that you know expectations about your work tools are influenced by your, your the entirety of your digital life and so yep. you know if you can do all of these things in your digital life not in work you don't want to go to work and have terrible tools um and so we try to bring that that mindset um to the work but you know again like when we could go out in the field and sit with people in person you know one of the questions we would ask is you know what um what do you do in your current role that makes you a hero like what what's something heroic that you do and oftentimes that will lead to uh, opportunity space around something that could be improved right because often these hero stories are around you know, big workarounds, around um, things that only that person knows what to do because they've been yep. there for, you know, 10 years. Um, and so the other part of human centered design is not just uh, emotion, you know, and try to connecting with people emotionally, which is harder in a business to business realm. Absolutely. You can get there, but, um, but also um, using the methodology and the mindset To learn your way into solutions. And that means learning how to frame the right problem. Because as you said, um, you know, there, there's a million different opportunities to automate, um, processes that are still manual. Um, so, you know, when you really, are in the bowels of business-to-business business world. And I don't think it's just finance. I think it's a lot of different aspects of... Oh,
1: it's everything. Yeah, absolutely. You
0: know, so much is still manual, and there's so much opportunity. And so then, how do you get into um, figuring out what the right opportunities to go after from a customer experience, user experience perspective are? You know, what is an organization are we good at um, what is possible for us to pursue from a technology enablement standpoint? And are we framing the problem in the right way so that we're actually, we can solve that problem? You know, there's lots of different solutions that we use that, you know, maybe you use the 80-20 rule where they've 80% solved the problem, yeah. but 100% doesn't work for you. You know, and yeah. so figuring out what those like what's critical the, yeah, elements. Yeah, what's the point,
1: of- right? Yeah, you're gonna do all this. Yeah. you need to make sure that you're solving that core issue. And and, and I go back. You you just said it eighty twenty, right? Like how it's not going to solve everything, right? We know that technology is not going to solve every piece of thing that could the, your the issues that you may have or the hurdles that you have in front of you. But how do we take care of some of the big ones, the big ticket items, as well as create a, a nicer experience for you so you actually somewhat enjoy. What you're doing, or it's not a slog anymore. That's how I always think of it when I'm going, when I had, when I could get rid of Excel and now I'm in, you know, a CRM every day. Like I don't, it's just not a slog anymore. It's something that I can very easily move through and it's intuitive and, you know, I don't dread having to do that part of my job. Right. Um, and I think you mentioned it, right? It's the methodology about how you think about that user design and, you know, that's that's what I love about user-centric and, and kind of this new... It's not a new wave by any means, but it's something new that we're bringing into banking is that analyze, design, evaluate, or iterate on what it is that we're doing, right? And that, that constant iteration. So talk to me about that methodology a little bit. And where do you think the pieces that are really starting to change the way that you do things or your team has evolved at Wells Fargo?
0: Um, yeah, so when I first uh, came into commercial banking, there was a big emphasis on, um, on customizing, customizing the software, uh, customizing the applications, um, for particular industries, for particular customer types. Um, and so there wasn't a lot of rigor, um, or enough rigor at that time around really, you know, making sure that services um, were high quality experiences for the majority um, of customers, or even taking sort of that segmentation view um, and understanding, well, you know, where, who's the, what are the majority um, of customers who are using this product or service? And who are we hearing from? Because the issue, a lot of times would be that we were hearing from customers who, um, if you looked at their usage data using data analytics were outliers. Um, and they, so they were the squeaky wheels, but they were outliers because, um, you know, they had unique edge case, cases, unique, um, unique needs. And so, you know, creating a user-centered design process allowed us to have you know, a methodology for, um, for really capturing um, you know, what the majority of the population needed that functionality to do, and then making strategic decisions around, um, okay, so how do we meet the unique needs of those edge cases? Maybe that is a manual solution. Yeah. Um, but we don't have to take a customized, customized viewpoint for the majority. Yeah, I
1: would, I'm would. wondering, you know, when I think about older systems, it seemed like everyone, that's how all of a sudden people became the, the, the subject matter experts which are like the gurus of certain systems at their companies, right? It's because they were the only ones who really understood how to get certain things done in the system yeah with user centered design it seems to me more especially with the in more of the commercial the b2b world you are starting to figure out what is that again 80 20 rule what are the what is the 80% we need to solve for here and how do we actually limit the amount of the 900 different ways of how to do something yeah like ev-
0: not everything is a snowflake
1: it doesn't have to be right it, there should be three or four ways in which we conduct a certain type of business, um, go through the process itself. And of course, there are those edge cases. But again, it's really starting to silo down what we don't need just because this team does it over here like that. And that team, they all are doing the same thing, but we'll just have them, the process should be very similar and and not these kind of, oh, we're going to do it this way. or the, it, it Again, it's just siloing down and bringing down exactly how we're going to conduct business in the application. And it, that it has- to me is...
0: Go ahead. Yeah. You're, bring, you're bringing up a really good point um, when you talk about process in a lot of ways, you know, um, complication in process. So, um, you know, a year, and a couple of years ago, we embarked on um, digitizing our small business administration uh, application. Okay. And um, we, Wells Fargo had been the number one SBA lender for eight years, um, both in terms of dollar amount and uh, volume. And lo and behold, a fintech came came about. Um, those
1: those those fintechs. Those <laughs> they guys. started. They to just eat for lunch.
0: Yeah. And they um, and they had a purely digital play. And they quickly started rising up the competitive yeah. ladder. We had no competitive play. And, and I found that really, um, pretty unbelievable when, when sort of this project came to the design group and, and we realized we were going to be doing it. Um, so I sort of was doing my, my due diligence, went on WellsFargo.com and was like, totally. well, what would it be like to, to open an SBA loan? And it was like clicking on a map of the United States and then clicking on your state and then clicking on your city <laughs> and then finding a phone number. That was oh my God. that was the digital experience. So it was like Brutal. Okay, we we we've gotta we've gotta dig in here. And there's a ton of opportunity. So we did a whole soup to nuts user centered design process yeah. throughout and you know and it's live now. Um, and it's gone through, I think, um, you know, MVP one, MVP two, you know, we're probably on, on phase three at this point. And, um, what we discovered about process was that it wasn't going to be enough to just digitize the application because yeah, the inefficiency was, was in the whole back end process. And so the experience strategy team, um, that conducted the discovery, they did journey mapping uh, with both customers who had just gone through um, the SBA process, as well as employees who were either, you know, the the banker representative or the underwriters, um, office people. And it was fascinating when they created these two journey maps to see that if you overlaid the employee map on top of the customer map, the employee pain points, uh, directly fed into customer pain points. And that's not surprising very, there. Yeah. We had the aha uh-huh of like, okay, so we're actually re-architecting the entire process of SBA lending at Wells Fargo, not just digitizing, um, an application. And so, you know, that, that helped us create the North Star prototype. That was everything, you know, like every how this would be like the the best SBA landing totally. experience ever. But then we had to launch an MVP, right? Yep.
1: And what are the What are the main functions? What is it exactly that we just need just to get this in customers' hands? What is it? What is it that's going to turn the dial and get us immediately back in the game, right?
0: And you know what it was. A checklist. <laughs> I
1: know that sounds really oh, it's, odd. No, <laughs> no. I it, it's it's the small things. I think people forget that the small things actually make the difference, right? Those little things here and there, they they are massive improvements. It is it it's sometimes it really is sometimes a thing that can separate a small, you know, a fintech versus the big behemoth bank is just those little things that the the small the fintech is able to do a little bit nimbler, mobile or easy, but understand that these are these are things that move the dial. And um as you said, when you all came down to it, it's a checklist. It's just it's some of those simple things.
0: Yeah. For the MVP one. So of course just uh, you know the, the major theme was um I need transparency into the process. Um I don't know what I'm gonna be asked for next. Um, why I'm asked for something multiple times Um, and many users told us or customers rather who had gone through the process um, I didn't know this deal was going to go through until I actually closed on the loan and so you've got you know going back to emotion you've got all of this uncertainty uh,
1: frustration and everything that goes through it I mean anyone who's who's done I mean it lending, lending as a whole, anyone who's closed a mortgage or done it on a car or anything. I mean, it all comes down to, you're just sitting there waiting in, you know, patiently trying to wait, but all those emotions are going through. Is this going to happen? Am I going to get it? Can I get it at the rate I was told? I don't know. And have I done everything right? Did I miss a signature? Like it's just, it's a, it's a long list of, and you just don't know half the time. So you have to trust. Yeah. Yeah. So, you
0: know, starting with the North Star, then breaking that down into what can we do now to provide value, and this has been a major mindset um, for us at Wells Fargo, where um, you know we were really working hard to pivot from you know how many things did we release, what are our outputs, how many projects did we do, to what are our outcomes, what value are we driving for the business what value are customers realizing from the actions that we took. And so that um, you know, we've we've been working with um a really awesome product um product methodology coach named Barry O'Reilly. He okay. is, has has several books. Um and you know uh, unlearning and that's the title of his one of his books, uh, um learning how to unlearn some of the practices that sort of, you know, took us up until now. And and one of those things is around, you know, not just shifting from um, outputs to outcomes, but also um, de-scaling. So how do you take something like I described about the SBA, like grand vision to like, Fix the entire process, make it yep. amazing for the back end people and the customers and totally, you know, easy in one click or whatever the revolutionize the whole be.
1: thing. Yep, exactly. Yeah.
0: Um, how do you take that type of aspirational vision and descale it into um manageable bytes that you can experiment with? um and so how do you create experiments and essentially what experiments do is what every company needs to do um to maintain and and to realize competitive advantage yeah. which is learn well the, i, I, I think we can con- control is how fast we learn
1: I, I mean to me it sounds like we got to get you in that you know that sprinter van again get you on the road with your team and get you out in front of the people again like that's <laughs> you know those sometimes you just have to you know get boots on the ground to figure that out um you know and that's actually the evaluation part is is a really interesting (laughs) i think you guys are just ahead of the game we gotta we're now you know the sprinter vans are really they're popular they're ready to go we get you all set up you have your own kitchen the bed and then you just hit the road and get everything you need from all the people so you know i think it's perfect (laughs) But it does kind of key into that evaluation period, right? So you have these ideas, you've done some initial analy- analyst, um, uh, kind of just analyzing what the the current market is, or what you're competing against, or what the product needs to be, right? But what does that evaluation stage look? For? Well, how do you look for that? Like, what is it? Are you doing surveys with public? Is it internal? Um, how are you How are you conducting those evaluations? is my, it, like how it's important, right? I mean, that user feedback is probably for us, at Lisa Kenai is the most important piece of anything that we do is how fast can we get it in front of a customer? Because that's, what's going to tell us if we're actually hitting the mark or not yeah. before we do any more investment of time, money, all of those things that are important, right? We just want to make sure we're hitting it on the mark. So yeah. how in this transformation that Wells is going through and you know, you as one of the leaders of this, what is it exactly that you're, how, how are they handling that evaluation period?
0: So I think the most critical thing um, is we have to be able to visualize our ideas as soon as possible. And um, that means prototyping, yeah. but it means that we need to put the ability to prototype into anyone's hands. And so we created a prototyping toolkit for product managers that is not at all meant to, you know, replace um, re- replace professional design, but is meant to empower product managers to um, not just describe their ideas, um, but- But draw it out. See it, right?
1: And yeah, so it, feel
0: it. It was created in the language of business, which is PowerPoint. And it's, you know, modular elements. We have, you know, desktop viewports and mobile viewports. These are like blank canvases and then all these widgets, you know, tables and buttons and yep. pull downs and whatever that product people can use to put together their ideas. And then that allows them to get to go enter into evaluation with peers, colleagues, um, and customers. much, much more, um, much earlier than, well, and
1: it sounds, it sounds like you're empowering them also, where it's not just, they're coming to you saying, Hey, I have this idea. Can you mock up something? Can you sketch it out? It's coming to you with an actual formulated something, right? It's something a little bit more thought out where it's, Hey, look, we want, we're giving you this, try it out, try to put some things together. Tell me, show me what it is that you want to achieve here. And then let's start building off of that, right? And I think, you know, when I think about some of the transformation that the the banking industry is going through, it is trying to de-scale. It's trying to empower individuals to take those steps on their own rather than, oh, I have this idea. Let's call a big 30-person meeting and figure out who's doing what, right? Right. When we don't even know yet what 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 is it that we're trying to accomplish here, yeah. right? So, um, to me, that you know, you mentioned descaling in projects. I think the descaling has to be across all. It, it needs to be. You don't have to have a big confab for every little thing that comes up in a project or an idea or whatever else. Keep it as modular as 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 siloed as possible in certain in certain instances. Otherwise, you get bogged down in kind of the bureaucracy, the politics, the everything that goes into it. Um, you know, enable and empower your 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 workforce to take those ideas on and express them in certain ways that resonate with the next group they need to talk to.
0: Yeah, and I think you know, some listening to this podcast, who might come from design, might be thinking, oh, that sounds like a nightmare for product managers to come to to us with their own prototype. Um and then say like hey you know make this look better and and put branding on it or whatever but that yeah. is that's actually um not what is happening for one um the act of visualizing one's ideas so a product person going through that experience realizes that that process is pushing their own thinking forward that you know it's It's great to think of it you know abstractly in your mind, even describe it in a you know business requirements document or whatever. But when you actually have to try to make it, yep. it makes you realize like, ooh, I'm not sure, I don't know or oh, I see this step has to be there. I see this has to connect with that. Um, and so it gives them a real appreciation for the craft um, yeah. design, for one thing. Um, two, it obviously create, um, enables more, um, powerful communication between any stakeholder group because they're all, um, looking at the same thing. Um, and yeah, those are, those are the two main things I, I would say, you know, same with, with trying to, um, empower, um, product folks to have their own customer conversations or conduct their own user research. They Quickly realize, like, oh, I thought I knew how to ask <laughs> questions and get that, yep. but actually, yeah, this is a skill, this is a craft. Um, yeah. isn't it. that
1: what being a product person is all about, right? <laughs> being in tune with your who your consumer is, who your customer is, and understanding their needs and wants, right? You would think that mm-hmm. goes hand in hand, but
0: except they, it's very yeah. hard after you've worked on something not to be like, I made this, you love it,
1: yeah, you, <laughs> right feedback is a tough feedback's a tough one you have to have a thin you have to have a thick skin and understand especially you know
0: and ask in exactly. a way exactly way that that invites honest true feedback
1: yep absolutely well i you know you put out a paper last year at the end of 2019 about low care high care and and you've also done a ton of work in the diversity inclusion area and everything else and and that and that really has been a focus. And again, it goes back to your background and your and your um your education and how and I've just always been kind of interested in how that flows into how you not only run your team, but you're you're kind of pushing them in this user-centered design further down in into evolution, right? Into maturity. How does your background there help you to push that those things, right? So it's not just about diversity, but Thinking about how diverse groups, and this could be anything from a race, a culture, to, oh, I'm a product manager. Well, you're a user designer. You look at things differently, right? How how are you utilizing that background to kind of push those those passions of yours at Wells?
0: Yeah, um, thank you for that question. Um, so for folks um, who are curious, my, my educational background is in organizational psychology. I also have a master's degree in African-American studies. And I did work in the field of um, diversity, equity and inclusion consulting um, before coming into human centered design. So I would say at at the heart in terms of, you know, if if I'm describing myself as as a leader, um, diversity and inclusion have been um, core values because I believe that people will um, bring their best work to an endeavor when they feel a sense of belonging. And so creating a culture and environment where all people feel that they can contribute and that they belong and that their value um, for who they are um, is really important. I would say in the past year, I've been doing a deep dive into diversity um, and particularly around Black African-American uh, designers and realizing that um, we need to do as a as a industry, as a design um, group, we need to do a much much better job of including Black African American designers um, within uh, design teams. They are out there. The talent is there, um, and it's a matter of um, of really being intentional about um, including that talent. Um, and, you know, I, and I can't emphasize enough that I think that, and there are so many examples of when a product has not had diverse voices at the, at the table and it, and it just. Flopped. It shows. It, it shows. shows. Yeah. Maybe it, shows. it doesn't even flop, but it just, yeah.
1: Um, and so, It is one of those. I apologize. I didn't mean to cut you off. I would just say it is, you know, they've done, there are so many studies, whether, you know, you're talking about Harvard Business Review, or if you're talking the University of Chicago, I'm just thinking of a couple of different ones out there that have done studies where diverse teams, and again, it it, it can be a multitude of how you, can, you classify diversity, but perform better. They create better products because you're bringing in multifaceted understandings of, where people are coming from, how they look at things, and also you're pushing the other person a lot more. If you have so many like-minded people in the same place,
0: oh yeah, yeah, you
1: get no push. Yeah, you yeah. get no push, or you only get one side of it. So, um, you know, this is also something that I think the banking industry is going through itself, and I've, multiple industries are going through these uh, kind of transformations. But you know, again, it's just something that it does take time. It does it does take up a different mindset in terms of how you are not only hiring, but managing your teams. Um, And again, empowering them to put out the best product as possible. Um, So yeah, I love it. Um, Was there anything else that you wanted to touch on that?
0: Oh, I could. I definitely could talk about
1: (laughs) talk for hours
0: and and inclusion. I think that that it needs the the focus on diversity and inclusion needs to be a part of everybody's job. That it's not just a sideline thing, um, or not just a department. Like, oh, we hired a diversity and inclusion person. So, for instance, at my team uh, meetings, and I inherited this practice. I didn't invent it. We have a diversity and inclusion component for every single All, all Hands that we have. That's a 15-minute component, and any team member can come and talk about whatever subject they want. It could be, you know, something that's very personal to them or just something that they're interested in. But that brings a different viewpoint um, to their colleagues and, um, and teaches them about another aspect um, of people's humanity and differences.
1: I love it. I mean, again, it's I think we, we both believe in the fact that, you know, diversity is shaping the way that we design, build and and bring product to to the customers. Right. Um, so uh, we're both on the same page there um, and we are coming up on our time. Um, it's been uh, fantastic to talk with you. I'm, I'm so glad that we were able to do this. Uh, and I really appreciate you taking the time and, and sharing your expertise here. Um, in our in our continual strive to understand and and kind of look at how again fintech is just eating the world. So really appreciate it, Robin. Thank you.
0: Thank you for having some of the old guard on here. Absolutely, absolutely.
1: <laughs> <laughs> love Thanks. it, love it. Well, have a great, and wonderful day, and uh, we will talk with you soon. Thank you.